want you to turn your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to spend one of our Sundays here in December looking at the Christmas story and uh, reflecting on a character in that story, part of the understory of the main story. So Matthew chapter 1 is the account I'd like us to focus our attention on today. Lance Corporal William Kyle Carpenter and Lance Corporal Nicholas Efrazio were on the rooftop in Helmand province of Afghanistan in November of 2010 when they were attacked by enemy fighters. A live grenade landed on the roof next to both men. Carpenter threw himself between the grenade and his fellow Marine. Efrazio received a shrapnel injury to the head from the grenade well. Carpenter's body absorbed the majority of the resulting explosion. Basically, uh, what happened was this grenade is tossed onto a roof, and a man was faced with a situation that some of us, I think, would call appropriately a dilemma. Faced with the decision to pay a serious price for the benefit and protection of others. And basically what happened is that in midair, well, as this man strove to place himself between danger and his friend, that that grenade went off as he was in midair and uh, wrought great devastation in his body. His injuries were so serious that his arrival at the hospital was declared to be an ETA ahead of time. That's how severe the injuries to this young man were. Injuries including a skull fracture and a punctured lung. But after roughly 40 surgeries and almost four years later, Carpenter visited the White House to receive the Medal of Honor, the nation's highest military honor from President Obama. This award is given to those whose personal acts of valor and bravery go above and beyond the call of duty. At 24 years old, he is the youngest living recipient of the Medal of Honor. Despite the recognition that he received, Carpenter insisted that his actions were well within the scope, the ordinary scope, of a Marine's duty. You always hear Band of Brothers, and that is exactly what we are, he said. I'll say, I'm not surprised, and in no way putting myself on the back, because I know that if you put a thousand Marines in that situation, they would all do the exact same thing for me. This man made one decision. In a moment, he made one decision that would cost him personally very dearly and yet provide protection and save the lives of others. I read that story and I, I, I think, what if he decided to run? What if he turned away from danger? What would the, what would the feeling be that would resonate the rest of his life? I think the simple answer is the feeling would be shame. But because of an act of bravery, at great, cost, at great cost, there is an abiding, or if you will, an underlying delight that I did the right, I did what a Marine should do in that situation. Now, the truth for most of us this morning is that we will leave our mark on life 
in much less remarkable ways. All of us will leave some type of impact when our life is done. But most of us are destined, and I want to say this in an appropriate way, most of us are destined to be somewhat average in terms of impact. Not many of us, very few of us, probably none of us, will be spoken about 100 years after our death. But we know that as children of God, we fulfill a certain and important role in the plan of God at this time in our lives. God has called us here at this time to make a difference for his kingdom. The story that emerges from the first chapter of Matthew, chapter 1 and verse 18, is the story of the birth of Christ. And if you look at the text in front of you this morning, you're going to notice in verse 18 and verse 25 the statement, the birth of Jesus. Okay, and that, there's a paragraph that lies between those two statements, and they act, if you will, as parentheses that tell you the main story of this text. The main thrust of this text is about the birth of Jesus. But as you read through this account, what you find is that there is an underlying story to the main story. There is a supporting cast, and there's a main character, if you will, a primary actor, lead role, and then a lot of supporting cast. This text puts an emphasis on Joseph as the supporting cast in this portion of the story, if you will. And I, this morning, want you to work through this account with me from three different perspectives. I want you to look at the dilemma that Joseph faces. I want you to look at the decision that Joseph has to make, and I want you to look at the delight that comes in his life. Okay, so just three simple steps that we will use this morning as we look at the life of this very simple carpenter, a simple man who plays an important role in the plan and purpose of God. Now, here's the balance I want to strike this morning because when I've heard people preach on the Christmas story and when I've preached on the Christmas story, I think we have a tendency to glamorize the events, okay, to read a lot into the text. The truth is the text tells us nothing about the relationship between Mary and Joseph in terms of the romantic aspects, okay? Perhaps that's to the disappointment of many, but what you need to realize is their relationship and the nature of their relationship at many levels is not the main story, and yet at one level it is part of the underlying main story. And that is the purity of the nature of the relationship between Joseph and Mary, critical to the story. But there's not a lot about how they met and were they high school sweethearts and all the kinds of things that old ladies are thinking, God, where's that stuff? Because we would love that. And so many people tend to create story out of the basic facts. And I want to try to avoid doing that. I want you this morning to go away thinking about the life of Joseph. I would like you to in some ways, admire the life of Joseph. But I hope that at the end of the day, your heart is encouraged to worship Jesus. And so I want to set that out at the beginning. Fundamentally, primarily, this is a story of the birth of Jesus. That's stated twice. But there's an underlying story about the life of someone that God uses to get the good news of Jesus out into the world in which Joseph lived. And so let's work through this text in these perspectives. First, the dilemma that Joseph faces. Verse 18 says this. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. So simply, this is the record of his birth. 
His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that introduces to us this morning the dilemma of the story. A dilemma is, it's a situation in which a difficult choice has to be made between two undesirable options. Okay, it's a story in which a choice needs to be made between two, if you will, equally undesirable options. That's the situation that Joseph finds himself in here. So the dilemma rises, a tension rises in the story. The tension is this. Mary is pledged to be married to Joseph. And if you want to kind of understand culturally what that means, it basically means they're engaged, but it's kind of engagement with a turbocharger on it, okay? They, they, to break this betrothal, this agreement between Mary and Joseph would require legal action, divorce papers. So it's kind of beyond what we understand as engagement. It's moved more into the realm of marriage, but it's not a consummated marriage. So it means this. They're committed to one another, devoted, but they're not yet in a physical relationship with each other. Okay, they haven't kind of crossed that line and moved into the fullness of their legal marriage relationship. And so Joseph is in a situation where walking away is not just simply a, hey, uh, no thanks, you know, the text, okay? Uh, relationship terminated in light of facts, okay? It's, it's not that kind of thing. This has to go to the court of law. This has to be dealt with in a quasi-public setting. And so Joseph is faced with a rather difficult situation. She is, in this text it says, found to be pregnant. Most of your translations get it right. She is found to be with child. And I, can I just say this as a side note? As I've read through the accounts of the birth of Christ, you notice that regularly the writers of Scripture talk about the pregnancy as being with child. Okay, that is the common description of pregnancy, to be with child, to have a life abiding within. A life that in many times in Scripture is described as to its purposes, its ends, and the aim of God for that child's life. And just point that out in a, in a season where you're thinking about those kinds of things. That when God talks about Christ, he talks about the Christ child. There is a preciousness to what remains and what abides within. The nature of the unborn emerges part of the sub-story. Now, so she's found to be pregnant with child. And if you're Joseph, you, you're looking at Mary saying, what happened? What happened to the commitment we made? And Mary's explanation is somewhat brief. It's a God thing. And Joseph says, oh, reasonable explanation, I accept it. No, there's only one natural slash human explanation for the situation that Joseph finds himself in. And that is that what? Mary has been unfaithful. And so that's the dilemma. Joseph is betrothed. He is legally committed to a relationship with this woman. She shows up pregnant. The conclusion in Joseph's mind is what? She's been unfaithful. 
And now Joseph has to make a decision about how he will respond to the dilemma that God has brought into his life. So the dilemma puts us in a situation where we have to ask what should happen. I want you to imagine this morning if you're one of Joseph's friends, you're one of his guy friends. And Joseph calls you and says, man, I got a situation I got to talk to you about. He lays the facts on the table that Mary has showed up, has been found to be pregnant. And most, most commentators understand that to mean that Joseph became aware of the fact that she was pregnant. Through whatever means, we don't know. But what we do know is that consciously, he knows she is an expectant mother without a human explanation for how that happened. What would you say to Joseph? And if I can ask you to think this way, what would the reasonable response be? I think the reasonable response of many people would be, we'll just out her. Let it be known, self-preservation, Joseph. If you're not responsible for what happened, you better get it on the table because your reputation is the one that's going down in this culture. I think that would be the advice that many would give. The underlying story of Joseph is in verse 19. It says, and just notice how it starts. Because Joseph, her husband, betrothed, was faithful to the law. Some of your translations use what word there? He was righteous. Okay? And, and I, like, I like this translation. He was faithful to the law. He was a man who abided by the truth of God. He was a committed follower of Christ. Devoted to doing the will of God as best he could. The reason we call this a dilemma is because, and, and you know the term caught on the horns of a dilemma? You've heard that statement. Most uh, animals in that context would have two horns, and both decisions require pain and suffering to make either one. Either one is difficult. Either one, there is a lose situation in either decision. And that's where Joseph is. He's a righteous man. He lives according to the law of God. And because of that, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So here's what I want you to see. Even though Joseph is committed to godly living, when he finds out that someone else is in the midst of a struggle or a moral dilemma, a moral failure, Joseph isn't self-righteous. He's righteous. And there's a difference. There's a righteousness, a self-righteousness based upon performance, not based upon grace, not based upon gratitude to God, but based upon I make the right decisions in each situation. And when someone cuts you off or wrongs you, you unload on them. Because your self-righteousness is giving permission for you to be arrogant, condescending, and judgmental. What I want you to notice is that Joseph being a righteous man is not inclined to such a disposition. He is not inclined to outmarry and let everybody know that he was innocent and she was wrong. And folks, there is something that the righteousness of God in your life will do to bring humility and gentleness in your approach to circumstances that you face in your life. Joseph is a man who is enveloped in the righteousness of God, who is facing a very difficult situation and here's the way it works. He doesn't want to disgrace her. That's one difficulty. Secondly, he could not move forward in light of the unfaithfulness. That's where he is. 
He's kind of come to a decision in his mind, the text will say. And notice what it says in verse 19. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He didn't want to make a big deal out of it, but he had in mind to divorce her quietly. The word literally could be translated privately. Okay, in other words, he would be discreet in dealing with the dilemma that is in front of him, yet he must make a decision that is incredibly difficult. And folks, one of the things I want to impress upon you this morning is this. When you are faced with a dilemma and you have to make a decision, you will learn something about yourself, something about your character, your underlying disposition will be revealed in those circumstances. You could say this, in some ways we are made by the circumstances that we face, but the decisions that we make will always reveal who we really are. And there is something beautiful about Joseph revealed in this situation. Something beautiful about a man who loves God and loves people. Who is not caught up in a self-righteousness that leads to judgmentalism. But is righteous at the level in which he will act honorably even in a situation that we would call a dilemma. Where either decision is distasteful, is difficult, hurts people. That's the situation that we find Joseph in. He is forced in this situation to resist the natural tendency to make her pay and to clear his name and dealing with things in a private and respectful way. To me, this is powerful. A few years ago, I was called to deal with a situation somewhat close to me where there was unfaithfulness on the part of a mate And the offended party, in spite of the brokenness of the failed party, the offended party was utterly and absolutely and totally unwilling to even speak. Now, did they have the right to terminate the relationship? Yes. If you want to go by the letter of the law where there is a a proven act of unfaithfulness, of soiling the marriage in this type of a way with another person. Yes. But the question when we face these sorts of situations isn't what do I want and what can I do? The question is what does God want and what should I do? You see, that's the driving force for Joseph in this situation. His first inclination is to deal with this in a way that is somewhat respectful The thing that was sad to me about the situation I described to you was this. I I didn't find in dealing with that situation any evidence of the grace and love of Christ. Not a hint of it. What I found was a rampant, self-righteous judgmentalism that made this person deaf to the voice of God. Folks, here's what I want you to understand. In every dilemma that you face, in every circumstance that you find yourself in, God is speaking through his word and by his spirit. He is communicating to you his desire and will. The question that we as Christians face is, are we listening? And the point I would argue with with you this morning is that when you face a situation of this kind where there has been deep offense, bitterness will make you deaf to the voice of God. You read the words on the page. You'll hear the voice of God, whether it's through the word spoken or the spirit of God impressing your truth upon you. But you will be 
impermeable to that voice. You will not hear it. Self-righteousness does that. It elevates us. It causes us to not want to hear what we really need to hear. This story then moves on from the decision that Joseph has to make to the opportunity and possibility of delight. Look at with me, if you will, verse 20. It says, after Joseph had considered this, and to consider means he's, he's kind of come to a decision. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, and this next phrase is loaded. Joseph, son of David. Okay, because what that does to Joseph is that ties him into the royal line through whom the Messiah is forecast and prophesied to come. And so the angel's playing, if you will, I might argue a little bit unfairly with Joseph in this situation. Joseph, son of David, loaded approach. Angel says to him, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Ghost. And she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Last week, James talked to us about the grudge root and the grace root in offense. And I was amazed as I studied through this, James, as I saw this emerging. Joseph has a choice to make. Joseph can practice the grace of God towards Mary, or he can out her. He can publicly disgrace her. And so now, in this dilemma, jo Joseph is faced with a choice to do the will of God that will end up being a costly decision for him. If Joseph chooses to marry Mary, to do what God is saying, Joseph is accepting upon his own life a certain level of stigma, of question, of accusation. And as you read through the Gospels, you'll find that is exactly what happened. He was said to be the son of Joseph. And that was a slur that was cast upon Christ and accusation of him being an illegitimate child. But I think this text pushes us to realize that the, for the righteous, the question is not what is allowed in terms of our decision making. The question is, what does God want? And in this case, God clarifies for Joseph exactly what he wants him to do. He wants the one that is conceived in Mary to, with Mary, go home as your wife. And this is the work of God. This is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Now, here's the kicker in this story. Okay, the naming of the child would be tantamount to adopting that child as one's very own. It would be Joseph taking legal ownership over the life of Jesus. So God lays that before Joseph. Said, Joseph, take her home. Yes, I know you have questions, but let them go. Do what I've told you to do. And when the child is born, you, you, Joseph, you name him. God is salvation. And how would you feel if you're Joseph now? God's asking you to do something that will, for the rest of your life, affect your reputation. But cause people to cast slurs. But cause people to ask questions. But cause people to have doubts about your character, your intention, your motives, etc., etc., etc. 
And I love the response of Joseph to this situation. Notice in verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Dilemma, decisions, delight. My dad recently has uh, taken up the habit of using the word choices. Choices. Here something happens in someone's life, his response is one word, choices. And folks, here's what I want you to understand today. In every circumstance, whether it's a dilemma or just a normal decision-making process of your life, you and I are constantly faced with the opportunity to make choices. Now, we really only know about a couple of choices that take place in the life of Joseph. We get a, a very, if you will, scant view into the life of Joseph in terms of decision-making. When he takes his family to Egypt to protect them, we get that decision. We get this decision here, and we get a little bit of interaction when you get to Luke chapter 12, I believe it is, when Jesus is in the temple kind of challenging the religious leadership and establishment. Our lives are made up of choices. I read you this story of Lance Corporal Kyle Carpenter. He made one decision that altered the complete trajectory of his life. Here's the truth. For most of us, our lives, our reputation, our testimony will be made up of a list of choices that we make along the way. For very few of us, will we be faced with that one big decision that kind of puts us on the billboards of life? Most of us are going to make daily decisions. Those daily decisions that you are making are kind of woven into the tapestry of your life. And at the end of the day, they create the picture of your life. Okay, decisions choices that lead to who you are, that reveal many ways your character. The thing we learn from Joseph is this. We learn the lesson that God's ways lead into a place of sweet and pleasant delight. Lesson from Joseph, when God's ways are clear, the righteous responds immediately. He or she doesn't hesitate. They don't wait for clarification. When they know what God's will is, when they know what God wants, they step out and do it with great courage, with the conviction. And here's a conviction I would share with you this morning. Hesitation and delay in the face of clear revelation from God is the devil's playground. The place that Satan will wreak havoc in your life is when you know the right thing to do and halt or hesitate and wait. Folks, here's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. When God reveals a path for your life, step out in courageous obedience. Find the right thing and do the right thing. Let that be the testimony that surrounds your life. God's way to delight, God's way to what you're looking for is found by making hard decisions that lead to the glory of the purposes of God as they are revealed in your life. Joseph is faced with a decision and when Jesus is born, the text says in verse 25, he gave him the name Jesus, for he would save his people from their sin. Now, when I think about Joseph's decision-making 
and the delight that he experiences, one who has a front row seat to the birth of the Messiah, as one who, at the birth of the Messiah, receives a visitation from shepherds who were out in their fields, who come in and affirm the decision of Joseph. Because Joseph still has to be wondering, okay, God, you've revealed, I've chosen, I faced a dilemma in, in light of striving to be a righteous man. I made a hard choice, a hard decision. And what God does is he ushers him into a very glorious and delightful set of circumstances. So what's the decision that God has before you today? Feels like a dilemma. Feels difficult. You're not sure what to do. And folks, here's what I believe this morning. I believe that God wants to nudge you by reading a story like this of Joseph. I think the underlying story to the main story is there because the truth is many of us are like Joseph. We live relatively insignificant lives from our perspective. Who is Joseph? He's just a carpenter called by God to be the father of his son. Because of his righteous character, when he faces the dilemma about the pregnancy of his wife, what does he do? He, he makes a decision to honor God, to let that righteous character lead him into a path of obedience with God, which leads him into a stable in a town called Bethlehem where he front row seats the birth of the Son of God. One of the verses I skipped over with the intent of coming back to is verse 22. It says, all this regarding Joseph and Mary took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And what had the Lord said? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. My guess is this, that on the eve of the birth of Christ, Joseph would not have changed places with anyone in the world on that night. That when the shepherds came in and there was this confluence of affirmation. This is the son of God. This is the hope of the nation. His name is Jesus, which means God is salvation. That is to say, God is hope for rescue for sinners. That as that truth began to flood over Joseph's heart, there was by the spirit an affirmation. Joseph, you made the hard choice. You made the right choice. The thing that's startling to me about the life of Joseph is that he, he basically fades into insignificance, doesn't he? If you read through the rest of the Gospels, once you're done the birth accounts, you have one mention of Joseph. I believe it's Luke 12 when he's traveling with his wife and Jesus is left behind at the temple and they go back and get Jesus. And that's it. That's it. And Joseph kind of, we don't know what happens to him. Many speculate that he died prematurely. And so that by the time you come to the death of Christ 33 years later, Joseph's literally faded out of the picture. A man who faced a dilemma, who made the right decision, and who enjoyed delight. Folks, ask yourself this question. At the end of my life, will I, will I be able to say, when it's all been said and done, I did what was right for God and for his glory. I personally feel like this. I feel like Joseph, at the day of his death, went into the presence of God and heard, well done, 
good and faithful servant. But I've never thought of the Gospels and thought, you know, some of the real key players, some of the real important people, Joseph, he's got to be one running for the Heisman spiritual trophy. Never thought that. But after studying through this text, you know what I, my, my conclusion is this. Joseph came on the scene, like all of us, a fairly average individual. He was faced with difficult decisions. And when he was faced with them, he made the hard choice, did the will of God, strove to be a righteous man. Folks, what else can we do? You want to impact people around you? Start to live a righteous life, a life that generally bends in the direction of the will of God. Just start there. And when God allows decisions to fall into your lap, some of them will feel like dilemmas. Sometimes you say, God, I don't know what to do. Here's what I challenge you to do. Do the right thing and leave the results with God. Because your life at the end of the day and the legacy that you will leave to your church family, to your children, mom and dad, the legacy that you will leave will be a legacy of choices. Decisions that you make in difficult circumstances that lead you as a child of God to the place of delight. You know what I want my children to know? And I think they're all here this morning. You know what I want them to know? I want them to know that life will sometimes put circumstances in front of you in the sovereign plan of God that will stretch you. It'll be difficult. But when you make right choices, it leads to the path of delight. And I personally wouldn't mind be a man standing in Joseph's shoes at the end of my life, and going before God, knowing that in the grand scheme of things, I did my part. And my life, in God's eyes, matters. Let me ask you this question this morning as we close. What difficult decision, what dilemma are you in this morning is bringing you to a decision that once it is made will bring back the delight of God in your life. What decision have you been putting off? And, and you say, you know what, Pastor Tim? On this decision, let's assume you're clear. You're clear. You know what God wants. But you've been putting it off and not stepping forward and not changing the thing that God wants to change in your life. He wants to lead you into righteousness. That's what he aims to do. This morning, I would encourage you like Joseph. Joseph had an encounter with God. And the Bible tells us that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. So what is the decision, the dilemma? that God is letting you face, that once you make that decision, it will lead to delight in his presence. Would you make that decision today? Father, as we come before you this morning, we are grateful for the life of Joseph. Thankful, Lord, that through the life of a very simple man, extraordinary things were accomplished. And Lord, we know that one of his fundamental purposes was to give to your son, Christ, the name Jesus. God is salvation. And Father, that's the name 
that you have called us to proclaim today. God is salvation. And Father, my prayer this morning is that if there is someone here this morning who has never trusted in Jesus, I pray, God, that you would this morning so move and so work in their hearts that you would draw them to faith in the saving one, the Son of God. And Lord, let our hearts, like Joseph, let them resound with his name is Jesus. And let us, Jesus, walk in absolute and utter obedience to your plans and purposes so that at the end of the day, you might be known as our hope and as our salvation. God, we pray that as we heard this morning for the land of Cambodia, that there would be rising in that country, a proclamation of the name of Christ, that that proclamation that God saves through his son would be made known in India and in Africa and the places where people are serving you, God, and striving to make your name known. And Lord, here in Washington, New Jersey, as we as a church family come to the conclusion of this year and with great excitement, we look forward to the new year where we will be faced with choices, where we will make decisions that will lead to glory and delight. Help us, God, as a church family to be faithful, to be courageous, and to pursue your glory more than we want anything else. Let us be men and women and young people that wake up and do the will of God. We pray this in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen.